We're in the midst of a series called The Awakening. We're going through the book of... Y'all are with me, all right? We're dialoguing on the incredible awakening and move of God, the revival that happened in the book of Acts. We've talked about the revivals that have happened in modern history, and we've uttered the refrain if it is that if that God did it before, he can do it again. God do it again. Last week, we talked about the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues and prophecy. That sounds like something that would be interesting to you. You can check it out if you missed it on our podcast or YouTube channel. We, we ended with the encouragement to do, not just read, not just amen, but do 1 Corinthians 14, 1, which says, pursue love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. Real moment, how many of you did that last week? Okay, a few of you. How many of you had cool stories of God showing up and coming through? A few of you. Okay, this is amazing. Go figure, if you do it, God actually does it, right? Wow. Mind blown. That one was for free. This week, I want to talk about how and why God kicked off this great awakening in the way that he did. And so if you have a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 2. We'll still be there in Acts chapter 2. Miami Dolphins fans, just when you thought it couldn't get any worse... We become the laughing stock of the world. I can't even talk about it. But the Miami Heat are doing well. So we got that. Florida Panthers, for all three of us that like hockey, they're number one in the NHL. Come on. And Jesus is on the throne. So we continue. Sigue adelante. Okay. Acts chapter 2. If you're ready, say, let's do this. Remember, up to this point, Jesus had given a directive to his disciples. He said, listen, I'm going to send you out Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. But wait for what? the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to be empowered to be my witnesses. They listened to Jesus. Jesus did what he said. Go figure how that works out and freak me out. Tongues of fire show up on their heads. They start speaking in languages they do not know. And we begin our text here in verse five. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. This is important. We'll get into why. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts. How many, who sat around and took a census of this right now? That's what I'm just wondering. Like, any of you have that detail-oriented friend? Like, this is their moment to shine. I made it in the Bible, Mom. Here they are. Both Jews and converts to Judaism and Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, this is a great question, what does this mean? Turn to your neighbor and ask him right now, what does this mean? Jesus, show us this morning, what does this mean? Amen. You greet a neighbor, high five, elbow bump, kiss them on the lips if you're married to them. Come on now, speaking in tongues, it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. One of the things that I love most about South Florida is the diversity. I, I love it. Yeah, we get a diversity of cultures. We get a diversity of languages. We get a diversity of foods. Come on, somebody. Gloria, that, I mean, it's just basically any authentic ethnic 
cultural food you want from any region in the world, you can get authentically, and it's absolutely amazing. There's so much beauty with diversity, but if we're being honest, diversity also has its challenges. Now, a lot of you know I'm from a Jewish background, and so growing up, I, I kept biblically kosher. That's kind of what we did in my family, which means we didn't do shellfish, and we didn't do pork, and, and I didn't really know, you know what I was missing. I was like, you know, it's fine. And, and then um, I fell in love with this beautiful Boricua princess named Nancy Melendez, and, um, and I remember my first Christmas, I was all excited because I, I was having Christmas with Nancy's family and I was going to get to try all this, all these different types of food. Now, I grew up here in South Florida, so arroz con frijoles, like we, we had Cuban food down here, but I had never experienced the wonders of habichuelas before. And so I started trying, these are Puerto Rican beans. I was like, man, this is great. And so they, we were there and they had this, uh, this food called pernil. Yeah, so, so you're excited about it. Um, well, I didn't know what that was. It, it was just some awesome smelling meat. Um, now, pernil is, is pork. Um, specifically, it is pork shoulder, uh, but I didn't know that. I just looked at it, and I was like, you know, white meat, maybe it's turkey, maybe, I, I don't know. And so I went to town on the pernil. Ooh, I had, a, I had a slice. And then, you know, you're trying to impress mo mom and pops, and so you're trying to get in good with the family, and so you're like, man, I know, I know how it goes. You got to eat and eat. So I ate so much of this, and I was so happy for like an hour. And then my, st my stomach started attacking me. And if you did not know, if you do not eat a certain type of food for your entire life and then you decide to gorge yourself on it, your body doesn't like that too much. And so I spent my time worshiping in the throne room for the entire Christmas while her parents were like, did he die? And I learned that day that John and pork don't mix. Save yourself the terror. Just take my advice. If you're used to it, go for it. If not, be warned. I loved it, but, but it made me think about diversity. You know, humans have an interesting relationship with diversity. We, we like it, at least in our modern culture, at least the idea of it, and we pursue it, and we want it, at least in theory. But if we're really being circumspect, it is so rare to see in truly deep and genuine ways. We can grab diversity on the surface. We can get a little photo op together and take a snapshot and have our token images. But, but when we're talking about diversity, true, deep, genuine, heart-level diversity, diversity is beautiful, but diversity is a challenge. This is nothing new. It goes all the way back to to Genesis 11 and the story of the Tower of Babel, when as we, we got in the mix and humans began working with one another and destructive purposes set in, we saw that, that Babel sort of serves as a representation of this world system. Everyone is sort of out for their own. The whole story of Babel was, man, let's go and make a name for ourselves. Everyone wants to make a name for ourselves and nobody gets along, which is why this week I, I continue to be stunned by Acts chapter two. I'll be honest, we had plans. We were gonna move forward in Acts chapter two and I just got stuck. And specifically, I got stuck because I'm like, what? I couldn't shake. Last week, we talked about it a little bit, but I just couldn't shake. Why did God have them speak in all these different languages? And better yet, why did, the, the, why did God, divinely inspired by his spirit, all of these specific languages and people groups to be mentioned explicitly in scripture? Could have just said there was a bunch of people there. What's happening? And I think God is trying to point to the specific how and when 
God chooses to kick off this great awakening because it is vitally important to God, which means it's vitally important to us. See, here's where I'm getting at, and then we'll unpack this. God, by the very nature of how and when he kicks off this great awakening here in Acts chapter 2, is making something very specific and very clear. Namely, while diversity is a challenge, it is also uniquely and specifically a part of God's plan. And just like all worthwhile things, just like all things that are worth it, anything worth it is going to be challenging, but it will be a blessing and a bonus as well. So let's dive into the text. I'll show you what I mean. Two movements. The first one is this. If you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to jot this down. The first movement is this. Why then? Why then? Ask your neighbor. Why then? Why then? Why does God choose to kick off the great awakening in Acts chapter 2 then? You ever had something happen at just the right time? Perfect timing always. All right, I need to hang out with you more, whoever said that. I, I remember... When my brother, Jesse Lash, who lives in California, became Uncle Jesse, and we were all excited for him. We're like, man, and and it finally worked out for him to get to come and and visit. And so, you know, me and my brother, neither one of us grew up around babies. And so he was a little baby apprehensive. Like, he's like, how do I hold the baby? And what if I drop the baby? And what if the baby, like, poops on me or throws up on me? And I was like, bro, chill out. You're going to hold the baby for, like, a, a tiny window of time. What are the chances that that could happen? And so we got together one faded Hanukkah in December, and uh, we were at my mom's house, and, and so I was like, oh, and we had this idea, you know, it's like an internet thing. I was like, take a picture with Liam when he's a little baby, and then each year we can kind of reproduce a picture each year to see how he grows. You guys have seen that before on the internets, right? So I was like, this will be so great. And so my brother's like, nervous, how do I hold him? I was like, you're fine, just hold him. He's going to be fine. Do I need to spit up cloth? No, man, you're holding him for like 15 seconds for a picture. So he, he gets into the picture, and he's ready, and I'm like, all right, here we go, smile, and it looks so cute, and I said, one, two, three, click, and as I am taking the picture, my son spits up on him. Immortalized for all time. I was like, Jesse, if we have to reproduce this each year, you know what we're going to have to ask Liam to do if we want it to be authentic. But I mean, there's just something about perfect timing, right? Timing is everything. It's easy. I just, I just love that that actually happened in real life. It's um, everyone's nightmare. You're like, I'm never holding a baby again. It's easy to read through Acts chapter two and just kind of gloss through and skip over the timing of when God kicks off this great awakening, but the timing is vital. See, here's what's happening within the context. Uh, Three times a year, the Jewish people that have been scattered all across the known world were commanded by God in the scriptures to come back to Jerusalem. These are called the pilgrim feasts. There were three different feasts. They were there for Passover. They would come back for Shavuot, which they would typically stick around. It was about 50 days later, and then they would come back again for Sukkot. Now, the Jewish people were scattered throughout the world because God told them they would it would happen. God told his people, he warned them over and over again, if you continue to oppress the poor, if you continue to disobey me, if you continue to treat people wrongly, you're going to be spread out. It's what's called the diaspora, or they went off into exile. So his people are living in all these different places referenced here in Acts chapter 2. They're, they're living in basically spanning multiple continents. We've got Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Middle East. You're like, there are Jewish people in Africa? Yes, they are. Been there before and met entire tribes of Jewish people that are still in Africa. Very interesting. But they're all over the place and coming together 
for these pilgrim feasts. They were there for the Passover. It wouldn't have made sense in the ancient world to go all the way back home if you're from far away and then come back 50 days later. So they stuck around for Shavuot or what we now call Pentecost in church. This is the context of what's happening. So the question is, okay, what's God doing? And we've, we've talked about this a little bit even theologically, but why then? Why did God deem fit of all the times within the year, of all the times within the calendar, right? Because God could have done this at any moment. The Acts 2 reality could have happened on a Tuesday. It could have happened in April. Why did God choose within his calendar to have it happen right now? It goes all the way back to the beginning of the story. Genesis chapter 22, God is speaking to a man named Abraham and he tells him this, I will surely bless you. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Father Abraham goes on to become the father of the, the nation of Israel, but God's promise from the very beginning was not for just the nation of Israel. Who was his promise for? All the nations of the earth. He tells Abraham, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Now we see this happen through Jesus, right? The redeemer, the savior of all mankind. But God makes a point to happen right here in Acts 2. It's happening through Jesus, but it's happening right now in this context. And I think it's important that we pause for a moment and not miss this factor or not miss this reality. God moves in Acts 2 and he fills a group of men and women from Galilee, but he waits not just for the Feast of Pentecost. Some of this is spiritual, some of this is Jesus and the Holy Spirit, Spirit fulfilling promises that God made, but he chooses to wait until there is the most diverse population possible for the entire year. He does it right then. And I need us to understand that as soon as the disciples are filled, the very next thing, the very next move that God does is uniting a diverse people. Here's my point. God loves diversity. God loves diversity. In fact, diversity isn't Earth's idea. It's God's idea. God told Abraham, and Abraham threw you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. God waits to fulfill the promise. Jesus said, wait until Jerusalem, when? Until Pentecost, why? Well, there's lots of reasons why, but one of them is that he's got all the nations of the earth gathered in one place. It's not just some modern or postmodern aesthetic where we're like, man, we just, we've become so enlightened that we now like the idea of diversity and all these different people. Man, please, God's been on this way before any human being because it's his vision. And he had them wait until it was a part of his essential equation for great awakening. So what does that mean for today? Question number one is why then? Question number two is what now? What, what do we do with that? What are the implications for followers of Jesus? Because if we're being honest, we've probably read the statistics and reality. Oftentimes, Sunday mornings, even within the church context, is the most segregated time of the week. What are we supposed to do now? goes back to our definition. We defined awakening is on earth as it is in heaven. I love that Kayla read that verse. We did not talk about this in advance, but the question is what's it like in heaven, right? What's it like in heaven? We get a picture of it from John the Revelator. Look at Revelation nine. After this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. What does it say? From every nation, tribe, 
people. Thank you. I, I thought y'all fell asleep. Thank you. I appreciate that, RJ. I appreciate that. And language, standing before the throne and before the lamb, wearing right, white robes, holding palm branches in their hands. By the way, that's sort of Sukkot stuff there. And they cried out in a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Now, I need you to catch this and not breeze through it. John says, I looked out and I just saw this mass of people and I couldn't even tell who was from where. Is that what he says? No. John says, I looked out and I saw this incredible crowd and it, and it was just this, this whole host, this sea of people, this like this undistinguishable soup. Is that what he says? No. John says, I looked out and what did he see? Every tribe, tongue, nation, and language distinguishable diversity is the vision that John has of heaven, which means God is not colorblind. He sees color and he loves it. He sees diversity and he loves it. God's vision for diversity, at least biblically, is something distinguishably different from what we might think, and he likes it that way. I've said this before, but I wanna show you, and you've probably been wondering and maybe getting hungry with my salad bowl here. The vision for diversity in the Bible is not a soup, it's a salad. You, got, you see where I'm going with this? Okay, I'll unpack it. In a salad, you have different elements, right? So you've got, this is romaine lettuce. Anybody want, I could throw it to you, but it won't make it there. We got some romaine lettuce, right? Then you've got some spinach. Who likes spinach in their salads? Spinach fans, okay, all you healthy people. Then we got some iceberg. No one wants to admit it, but we all want a little bit of iceberg in there. You gotta have some iceberg one time. Okay, for the iceberg people, yep, yep, there we go. I got some peppers in here. Oh, it's good. Red peppers, any red pepper fans? Yellow pepper fans, yeah, oh, that's nice too. Mm, mm. Robert told me not to eat spinach because it gets stuck in my teeth, but he didn't tell me. Oh, we got tomatoes. Yeah, tomato people. There we go. Mmm. This is good. I'm going to camp out on this point a little bit. I feel led by the Spirit to do that. But, um, all right, I'm dumb. It's not a soup. Soup would have been messier. Here's my point. What makes a salad delicious and enjoyable? It's the diversity. It's all of the different textures, it's all of the different elements, it's all of the distinguishable factors that come together to make a salad what it is. You don't put it in a blender. I mean, I guess you do, that's called a smoothie, right? But not for the purpose of this analogy. God's kingdom and his diversity, it's, it's a salad. The diversity of it all is, make, is what makes it as good as it is and God's church is no different. God waited, in fact, to spark his great awakening until he had the max amount of diversity present, which begs the question, is that a coincidence or is that part of the plan? What do you think? Part of the plan, right? As strategic as God is with everything that he does, when he does it, he, he's a calendar guy. God makes it an essential part of his plan. The great awakening, and here's my point, if, if we're gonna talk great awakening, if we're gonna preach great awakening, if we're gonna pray like we are tonight at 6 p.m. joining New Hope, we're doing the same sermon series at the same time with the same name, Crazy, it's like, all right, let's go pray together about this. If we're gonna genuinely go after what I believe is a move of the spirit towards great awakening, then we've got to mean it all the way when we say on earth as it is in heaven. We define awakening as it's God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven to a mass of people. Well, God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven looks like this. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and an angle, every language distinct in their diversity and celebrated as such. Amen? Amen. 
God is telling us through this, his great awakening, it's diverse from the very beginning and we need it. It is an essential ingredient in the recipe for awakening. But this week as I was studying, man, I got, I got so floored looking at the deep multifaceted things that God is doing here when he kicks off this great awakening. It's not just what he does, but it's how he does it. I'm gonna take you on a journey with me. Look at verse six again. We got these people standing in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews, every nation under heaven. Verse six, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Now, if you just read this at first glance, it just seems like, man, this is kind of a crazy scene and we got a bunch of languages happening, but you'll miss the sociocultural ramifications and the religious dynamics of the day. See, in the ancient world, ancient Judaism was dominated by what mo most ancient religions were, which is a karmatic way of thinking. This idea of you are in the spot you are because of what you did or what your parents did or what your ancestors did. Now, I mentioned that there was a lot of Jewish people living in exile. Here is what I have not shared with you up to this point. Most likely, there would have been a strong sense of these exiled Jewish people living out across the diaspora being second-class religious citizens. Why? Because the thinking would have been, oh, you guys, oh, you're from way over there. Oh, the, the ones that were exiled away because they were disobedient like God had promised, oh, we know who your forefathers were. Mm -hmm. And you're here three times a year, that's, that, man, that's so good for you, but we're here all the time. You're worshiping three times a year, but we're worshiping all the time. You remember the Pharisees, these characters? When James tosses out, hey, there's pure and undefiled religion, he was taking a stab at the Pharisees who viewed their approach as the pure and undefiled religion. When you've got these Jewish individuals who are scattered all over the planet and they're coming back for this one of these pilgrim feasts, they are feeling the very nature of the look downs from the religious elite. They're feeling this, and when you talk about the proselytes or converts to Judaism, Gentiles who become followers of God, they're definitely feeling like second-class citizens. And so here they are, and if you remember with the story of the Ethiopian eunuch that I preached, they're just, they're hoping that God might be merciful. They're, they're, they know they don't, they don't live in, in what the religious elite say is the right area, the right area code. They're not doing, they're not in the right way. They know that most likely their forefathers and their ancestors had disobeyed God. They're feeling all sorts of ways and just hoping maybe my sacrifices might be seen by God and maybe he'll look upon me favorably. And then they hear their language. God's doing something amazing here. See, they're about to hear a sermon from Peter in the common language. I mentioned this last week. They're about to hear him. He's, he's gonna preach most likely in either Hebrew or Greek. They would have had a common language they would have understood. But before God speaks to their head in the common language, he gets to their heart in their heart language. I was talking to Josh Horton. He was a missionary joining us. He does Bible translation with Wyclef. And, and he was talking to me about they had translated the Bible. You guys helped support this. The first time ever in modern history, this entire people group had ever had a New Testament in their heart language. Pretty amazing, yeah, that's exciting. That is very exciting. I was like, well, do they, do they have another translation? He's like, well, they do, yeah, but it would be like if, if you were from Haiti and you had a Bible that was in French, that's fine, you could probably get by, you could get some of it, but when you get a Bible in Haitian Creole, all of a sudden it just hits different because it's your heart language. It's, it's the language that you speak at home, it's the language that you speak with your friends, it's, it's the language that you actually use. He said, this is the first time they've had a scripture in their heart language. Here's my point. God is uniquely kicking off his great awakening, speaking to people from all over the world in their heart language. It's awesome. They're like, these people from Galilee, 
They're speaking my language. They're speaking my native language. And I was just so stunned with the character of God. Like he's going to get their mind with Greek or Hebrew, whatever Peter is gonna preach in this common language, but he gets their heart with tongues and their native language because it's not just important that they understand and comprehend the message being preached. It is important that they are understood. And this is what God does. That they're deeply seen, that they're deeply valued. In the ancient Jewish tradition, they would have said that at, at Mount Sinai, when Moses came down with the Ten Commandments, there were like tongues of, as he spoke, it was like tongues of fire came out. And as that happened, it was, it was heard in 70 different languages. This was the, sort of the Jewish tradition around Mount Sinai. These people are now experiencing Mount Sinai part two. God gave the law once and now he's giving the spirit here. They, they would have been, I mean, the, the, the sense, if you can imagine, put yourself in their shoes. The sense of being seen and valued by God would have been unparalleled. No wonder they freaked out in the best way possible. Here's my point. God's people are called to be like this, right? The whole vision of Greenhouse, we wanna help ordinary people become passionate followers of Jesus. The question is, what's Jesus like? Well, we wanna be like that. Or what's God like? We wanna follow in his footsteps. God's people are called to be like this, where we deeply see and value the beautiful diversity of the people that God created. There's something different when you feel understood. It could be the same words, but you guys know what I'm talking about? When you feel, man, you, you get me. I lost my father unexpectedly a couple years ago and, and it's just different now when I talk to someone who, who's, who is losing or who lost a parent. I get it, I've lived it. I was thinking about it this month as we get ready to celebrate Black History Month. We're here and it kicked off in February and if you didn't notice, not all of us are black, right? So, so that we have a different lived story. Maybe you're not black but you can pursue understanding and learn to speak the heart language. Maybe not all of us immigrated here personally, but, and, and some of us have, but you can learn to, to study and learn and ask questions and hear so you can speak the heart language. There's something that happens when people feel seen, valued, and understood in their unique experience. What's well, like how God treats us. It's like what he does with us. And if the vision is on earth as it is in heaven, it's worth praying and learning to get good at diversity not just on the surface, the deep stuff, where we move out of our comfort zones and lived experiences alone and we learn to speak the heart language. By the way, if you think this is just some tangential point that got hijacked, every single moment in modern history, and it started here in Acts 2, every single time the church was hot and on fire with the flames of, of awakening and revival, it was super diverse. You look at the Azusa Street Awakening that happened out in California, led by William, Reverend William Seymour. When that was on fire, one of the things that blew people away in the secular world is they were like, wait a second, there, there, there's black people and brown people and white people and tan people and, and all these different cultures. And what kind of people is this? It was unprecedented heart level diversity. Guess when the Azusa Street Awakening died? When racism and divisions crept in. So they point to. Historians are like, well, actually, we, it was still the same people, but the, the dynamics all of a sudden changed. It's been one of the tragedies of the modern church. We see it over and over, spanning cultures and continents. I saw it in India with the Dalits, the former untouchables. In Africa, you see it with apartheid. In America, with segregation and racism and Jim Crow. We actively, to our detriment and destruction, fight against the bonus 
that God has created with his diverse family. When we have it, it gives the opportunity for the beauty of his body to be fully expressed and for awakening to happen. And when we fight against it, it's to our detriment and it breaks God's heart. The irony is probably one of the best places for true deep heart level diversity to happen is his church. Like, like think about all of the things we have in our favor. Um, we have a common vision set by God, right? We, we have common language, a common text. We have the same CEO. His name is Jesus. He's directing the show. We are actually set up for this. We're called to this. And my whole point here is if, we, if, if you, if I, if we want to experience the great awakening, we must follow in the pattern that Jesus laid out for us. He said, wait in Jerusalem for power, for boldness from the Holy Spirit. But, but why did it come then? It could have come at any time. Why did it come then? Because it is not just his spirit that we need. We need his spirit and his people. We need his spirit and his people. I realize in some ways I'm preaching to the choir to some degree because we're here in South Florida. You look around, you're like, what kind of church is this? It looks like the United Nations gone spiritual, okay? This is beautiful, but I'm telling you, it's not just enough to look around and see different colors and shades and cultures. It's to actually lean into those differences as we appreciate them and the comfort and discomfort as they rub against different aspects of our own culture. And we learn to find God's kingdom in the intersection. Here's what I want us to do this week. I want us to take a diversity inventory. Take out a pen or take out your phone if you've got it. I want us to chew on this this week. I want us to go a little deeper here. It's one of the joys of my soul. I love being a part of a community that does in a lot of ways, and we're still growing in it, and we're still learning, and we're still moving forward, but our vision is to be a place that reflects the diversity of God's family and God's kingdom. I love the fact that I feel like most of us are genuinely on this journey. I'm calling us deeper. Here's a diversity inventory. Do I have any regular interactions with people who are different from me? Do I have any regular interactions with people who are different from me? Think age, cultural background, socioeconomic background. Second question, do I have any close friendships with people who are different from me? Right, sometimes you have one, but you don't have the other. I think both are vitally important. Do I have any close friendships with people who are different from me in age, in cultural background, in socioeconomic background? As we push closer to the election cycle, God have mercy on all of us. Politically, do you have friends that are different from you, right? Because if we want to see a great awakening, God showed us a key. It is divinely fueled diversity. This is not just something that we, we drafted up in our post-enlightenment minds. This is Acts 2 essential ingredient that God says you can't leave until you have this. And then he sends them out. We need it. Generational and cultural blind spots are a thing. And according to God, we need people different from us to help us thrive in the way that God intended. And they need us. Listen, on both sides of things, I get it. If, if, if you're just gonna be in the same room, you're like, oh yeah, this is fun. Everyone's like, oh yeah, it's so cool. Then, and then you start having conversations and realize different cultures feel different way, differently about different things and, and different cultures have different types of food and different cultures have different language preference and, different, and you start realizing, man, if I really press into this diversity thing, it's a little uncomfortable to not be fully understood at first. 
which is why everyone just clumps into people that are just like them. But when we do that, we're missing out on the bonus of diversity that God has intended for his kingdom and put right in the very beginning of his awakening. By the way, it's one of the things I love about this church, as I mentioned, but really about microchurches. When, when you break down into microchurches, you get a space to not just be together with, you know, 100 people or 100 plus people in a big room, and, but actually be in a living room with a bunch of people. And then you have a potluck with a bunch of people, and, and you get to share life in such a way where you're pressed deeply into this opportunity for multi-generational, multicultural diversity in genuine, real, honest, organic, and sometimes very raw ways. If you're not in a microchurch yet, here's my, here's like a action step. You're like, what, what do I even do? Okay, God, God has a heart for diversity. Awake, diversity is an essential ingredient of awakening. If I take this quiz and I feel like I don't really have much of that in my life, check out a microchurch this week. Like it's, it's the simplest next step action step that you can take here. Check out one of these microchurches and get into a, a community where you can build deeper relationships. I'm gonna close it here and we'll get ready to close in a final chorus because I don't, I don't just wanna paint some rosy pie in the sky picture that all of this is gonna be easy or a walk in the park because if it is, everywhere that has the espoused virtue of diversity would actually be living it in real fashion and that is not the case. Diversity is God's design, but it's not easy. It's, in fact, it's incredibly difficult. It's uncommon because it is often very uncomfortable, which is why we see it truly and genuinely so rarely which is why true diversity doesn't generate from earth. It's initiated from heaven. I love how this story ends. Here in Acts 2, we, we talked about it at the very beginning of the sermon, but when we're introduced to this Tower of Babel dynamic, the people were there, and, and what happened at the Tower of Babel is that out of their toxic unity and their desire to make their name great, it says that their, their languages, God gave them all these different languages, their languages were confused, and all of a sudden, diversity ends up scattering and separating people from one another. And they're separated by language. And they're separated by cultural differences. And they spread out all over the known earth. And ever since that time, languages or tongues separated and divided humanity. And then we come to Acts chapter 2, and what does he do? Now by his spirit, he uses a diversity of languages and tongues to do what? Unite his people. You see what's happening here? He's literally, he's literally, God kicks off his awakening by literally reversing the curse of diversity. He said, what had separated you in the past, what had kept you at odds with one another in the past, what had kept you from missing one another in the past, now I'm going to use the diversity of languages and tongues and I'm gonna bring you back together. Look at what he's doing. I'm this is not just some optional feature in the new vehicle called awakening. This is standard issue. This is essential. It, it has to be there if we're gonna run like God intended. And it's his heart from Genesis 11, from Abraham, all the way to the very end of the book in Revelation, every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. It's his church, it's his family. And God kicks off this great awakening by reversing the curse of division. How? Because the spirit, the spirit of God, brings a healing to the soul that unites us, that changes us, that enables us to all of a sudden look at different people differently. Listen, I'm not naive enough to know that even though South, South Florida is multicultural, we all come from cultures where there's a little bit of prejudgment and bias against they, against the other. What do I need? You need God's spirit. 
We've all been taught incredible things from our cultures of origin, incredible things from our families of origin, incredible diversity that we bring to the table, and every single one of our cultures and subcultures have things that need to bow at the feet of Jesus and die. How does that happen? Not by might nor by power, but by his spirit. And here's my prayer that if, if during this time this morning, if, if maybe during this week, if you're watching online, if you're watching later on demand, as you go through that diversity inventory, if you sense that this is not something active in your life, but you want it to be. If you realize your, your inner circle, you're like, I got a lot of acquaintances, Pastor John, but my inner circle is fairly homogenous. It's a bunch of people that look like me and think like me and sound like me and vote like me and talk like me and eat like me. And I, if I'm being honest, I sort of have very surface level external relationships that are diverse, but I really don't have anybody on the inside challenging me in ways that apparently God knows we need to be challenged. Like, what do I do? You invite in the Holy Spirit. You do what happened right here in Acts 2. You wait and ask God for power from on high. You ask God for his heart, for his vision. You lean into relationships right here in this church, macro and micro, and watch awakening embers begin to spark. Why don't you join me? Let's pray as we respond together. And Jesus, we love you. Lord, I'm, I'm so absolutely stunned at the way that you organized the calendar and the cosmos that when you kicked off Great Awakening, it was literally every tongue, every tribe, every nation and every language gathered in one place. Because how you were gonna end the story in Revelation is how you started in Acts 2. Lord, we wanna reflect your vision. We wanna walk in your plan. We wanna walk in your path. And God, I'm, I'm so thankful for this church. I love what you've done already here in terms of a, a, a picture, a beginning point of the diversity of your kingdom. But Lord, we want more. Lord, our world is longing for true, deep, genuine, heart-level unity where people lean into uncomfortable scenarios and uncomfortable conversations and uncomfortable situations, but it does not happen successfully in ongoing ways in the world which is why we need you to do it here in your church, not by might nor by power, but by your spirit. I just wanna camp out for a moment and, and you can keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. If, if you're here this morning and, and before any message of unity with people, you know you're not at unity, you're not right with God. I hope you read between the lines to see that the moral of the Acts 2 story is that God sees you deeply and uniquely in whatever place you might be in. And maybe you resonate with these Jewish people living in exile in the diaspora who felt like, man, I, I can never measure up to God's standards. I'm only, I'm living on a hope and a prayer. There's no way because of what you've done or what, what you've experienced or where you're at. I need you to know this friend, God sees you and he loves you. And he has an amazing plan for your life that begins when you turn to him and surrender and say, Jesus, I need you. Everything that you've been looking for, everything that you've been searching for, everything that you've been longing for, and you haven't been able to quite scratch that itch, it's because it's always found in Jesus. You're like, what do I do? You invite him in. Wherever you're at, you're in the room, if you're watching online, you say, Jesus, you got me. I'm listening. Forgive me, help me, change me. I can't do this on my own anymore. I'm at the end of my ropes. I, I need you. Maybe you're here and, and you're a follower of Jesus, 
this morning, this week, whenever you're watching later, you've, you sense God's spirit tugging you to commit or maybe recommit to on earth as it is in heaven. That's what Jesus taught us to pray. That's what we've defined awakening as, but specifically in this area of diversity. You're like, what do I do? You just ask him. Jesus, help me. Holy Spirit, change me. Give me eyes to see it. Help me lean into some relationships. Help me to have the courage to step out and, and finally try one of these micro churches. Help me to, to make some new friends, to engage in deeper conversation, to, to celebrate what you've already placed around me, maybe. Lord, help. You can look up at me and why don't we stand to our feet together. If I could have some of our prayer partners line the front. We're just gonna close out in a time of prayer. We're gonna sing a final chorus together, just kind of sealing up this moment together with Jesus. If you need prayer for anything in your life, if, if you need maybe from last week, you're like, man, I, I could use one of the, are we, still, are we still doing the prophecy thing? Have we moved past that? Pastor John, words of comfort and encouragement because I could sure use that this week. We'd love to pray with you. Before you're done this morning, you can come and receive prayer. If you need a miracle in your life, whether it be uh, physically in your body, healing, something financially, a situation, wisdom, whatever the case might be, we would love to pray and agree with you. But let's sing this chorus together as we do. Sing overflow, overflow in this place. Fill our hearts with your love, your love. Surround us. You're the reason we came. To encounter your love, your love surrounds us. Spirit of God, fall fresh on us. We need your presence. Your kingdom come, your kingdom come, your Lord, we want to go all the way with your prayer. You taught us to pray that your kingdom would come, your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we want to go all the way with that prayer, all the way with the desire of your heart. Lord, every people, tribe, tongue, nation, and language, God, thank you that you give us a clear picture of your family reunion in heaven. And Lord, we want to pray and experience on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, give us the courage, give us the grace. We love you, Jesus. I pray a blessing over your people, Lord. Bless them and keep them. Make your face shine upon them. Be gracious to them. Lift up your countenance and give them your shalom. Shalom, perfect peace. In Jesus' name, amen.